what's everybody? How's it hanging? How's it happening? You guys know what it is. This is Kevin from the Card Progression Podcast. Podcast sponsored by Dark Fusion Systems, those badass computers you're ever going to be able to find for your gaming or any kind of creative needs. Need to know someone that endorses them? Yeah, Ryan Kirby from Fitbird King is by them too. So yeah, you can get 100% off your entire build at darkfusionsystems.com using the code CPPOD. Mention it anytime throughout your build, you're going to get $100 off. There you go. Make sure to the podcast. Now it's time to jump into this episode with the guys from Howling Giant. We have Zach and Tom on the podcast. We talk about their brand new album, which is out now called Glass Future. We also dive into them going on a European run to launch this album and them being as raw as possible on stage. No backing track, nothing, and why that works for them. Are you guys ready and ready to go see them live after this episode? Let's go! Yeah. Well, 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 ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, listeners of the Court Progression Podcast, you know I love to expand my musical horizons whenever it comes to anything in the rock and metal spectrum. I saw this one come across my email. I'm like, stoner metal? Okay, let's go take a listen to this. Let's see what's going on. I listened to the Titra song off of the band's brand new album, which comes out on October 27th. So by the time this episode comes out, it will already be out called Glass Future. And I'm like, yeah, I want to talk to these guys, and bing, bang, boom, all set, and here we are. So please welcome Zach and Tom from the band Howling Giants of the podcast. So gentlemen, welcome to Core Progression Podcast. Thanks nice. for having us. Thanks for having us, man. Stoked to be here. Stoked to have you guys on. I know right before this album dropped, you guys just got back from a European tour. So I got to ask, how did this whole entire trip over to Europe go? How did the fans take to you over there? Because... Still, going over to Europe at this day and age, no matter what size the band is, that's still pretty damn good of an accomplishment. Yeah, man. It was uh, it was an amazing time. I feel like we got the full European experience, you know? It was a roller coaster of, like, we had some of the best shows we've ever had. We also had our van broken into in Milan, Italy. Um, and we missed our first festival because American Airlines screwed up our flight. So like we got in right as our time slot ended and we mm -hmm. picked up our, our friends who we were touring with heavy temple. Uh, we pretty much just rolled through Switzerland and then got out of there without playing. But we also ate some of the best food I've ever had. True. And I drank more wine than I have uh, historically in my right. life. I you think. can get two euro wine at a gas station in france that's better than most wine in the states dude you spend four euros and you're like you're king. flying high you're a king among king the pedestals. you guys are killing me right now i want to go back to europe i've only been there once i didn't even go to france or anything but i want to go to a gas station spend four euro on wine and just look around everyone and be like oh look at these peasants i was able to spend four euro on gas dude. station wine Pinky well, out. and I'm tempted to now buy like four dollar wine in the states. You don't want that. You don't. Want, you don't want that. <laughs> it's either. not the same, no. you know. Also, the gas station food there is so much better. Like they're baking the bread in house, and like Dude. like you know, got a schnitzel sandwich in Germany. Like here, you have the rolling meats at the Love's gas stop. The that's about it. what do they call them? Torpedo torpedo tornadoes. Tornadoes. Yeah, I was gonna say it's torpedoes, but yeah. it's tornadoes. <laughs> yeah. It definitely torpedoes your. Or like a questionable true. hot dog that's yeah. been rolling for like nine hours. Yeah. <laughs> See, now it's like a no reason, no wonder why Bucky's is so big here for every band that goes in tours because of how big it is and the fact that you can get, you know, fresh made brisket sandwiches right in front of you. You get to see them being made. But then you go to Europe, you go to these gas stations, and it's like you're at you're like a four or five star restaurant just going in and getting gas station food. And it's probably mm -hmm. not even like as expensive compared to some of the other stuff that you could get out there. So. 
shit, now I'm a little jealous. You guys, you know, even going through all the stuff you went through in Europe, like you're riding high, especially on food and beverage and damn good quality wine. You're, you're making me jealous here, guys. <laughs> yeah, dude. I mean, it was a, uh, it was awesome. And I hope we can do it again really soon. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Really, Maybe. really cool facets. Like, man, we got to cover a bunch of ground, but I think next time we're hoping to get back and, and do a lot more of Northern Europe. Um, Cause we didn't even get to hit the UK on this one. And we have a lot of buddies over there. We'd like to see. So. Yeah. And I'd love to like go to Sweden as well. Yeah. Yeah. Nor Norway too. Really Norway, just Scandinavia. Sweden. Yeah. That'd be awesome. So I think we're just like going to have to keep going back once a year and just seeing what sort of ground we can cover. Mm -hmm. I, I hope you guys do just because at that point in time, you're going to be able to travel over there more. People are going to be able to see you more. You're going to get more exposure for the band as well. People that have already seen you are already going to be potentially talking about you going to see you once again, you know, bring a friend along. Why the hell not? And then especially with Europe, it's something where, yeah, it's still a very large area with a lot of countries, but it's very easy to move within those countries in certain capacities. So a lot of people know a lot of people in other places. So, heck, you might not see them at the Milan show, but all of a sudden you're going to go play somewhere in Switzerland. You're going to go someplace somewhere in Austria. And it's like, well, they might still just show up there out of nowhere. You never know. It's it, it's a huge capacity that you're able to just really partake on and get a lot more people to know who the band is, who Howling Giant is. And you got to get over to the UK, man. I mean. Again, yeah. as an English as a, as a band, you sing in English, speak English. Yeah, you got to go where England what English was invented. England, duh. The the unique experience though that I that I really had was meeting fans over there that knew the words, like could sing along to our music, and then you try to have a conversation after the show, and right. it's like, man, the language barrier is there, but like they learned to sing the track yeah with budapest us. especially we were just like seeing them singing every single word yeah and then one dude was like man my english isn't that great and i'm like dude but you sang like every word <laughs> to those songs man that was like that was a trip that was cool that is something that just transcends the barriers of language too because even though they're learning the language through your music and they're singing everything back to you they might not know how to do anything else with english but that's a perfect way for them to connect with you guys as a band. They're seeing you perform live. You're they're singing along with you. That's a huge connection piece. And even if their English is not very good and you're trying to have a conversation with them after the show at the merch table, at the bar, wherever it might be, that's something that they're still going to remember forever. Where it's even though they weren't in the, you know, maybe the best capacity to speak the language because of skill level or and, and I will say this too. There were so many people that were able to speak English so well. Like right. you go over there as an American and you're like, man, we're really dumb. <laughs> you guys are all bilingual, like to some degree. Yeah. They will apologize for having like not the strongest grasp on the English language. But really, I'm like, man, we're having a real conversation right now. Yeah. I am incapable of doing that in any other language. So, you know. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you on that, because even when I was over there, I thought, man, I feel like I should know at least two or three languages just to get by here and just like actually be able to connect with people on a better level instead of having to hope that they know some sort of English so I can communicate with them. Otherwise, I have to do it all via like pointing and sign language and try and communicate via interpretive dance. And I mean, look at the color of my skin. I'm pasty as hell. Me and dancing don't go well together. <laughs> yeah, a lot of pointing. That was the that was the ordering process for sure. It worked, man. It worked every time. Yeah. We got there. You get there. Yeah.
So outside of you, of course, you know, missing that one festival because American Airlines decided to screw you guys over, as you know, the airlines have been doing this consistently for the last couple of years. Other and you know your van being broken into, you guys are saying you want to go back again. So I'm assuming that you know overall, even with all these great experiences, even all the downfalls, well, there's nothing that's going to be able to compare to it. So going back over there is going to be a priority for Howling Giant going forward. Am I correct on that? Big time. Yeah, I mean, like that—that's the thing. It's like we've been we've been putting in the work in the states for a while since we started touring in 2017, really. So it's just like, you know, you go, you play to the bartender and three people, but then you go back and then there's 10 and then there's 20 and it builds every time. And uh, those first shows in Europe were a heck of a lot better than the first shows in the States. But we just you got to keep showing up. And it was it was interesting starting in Europe for this run, because in some ways it felt like we were kind of starting over. You know, some towns there weren't really like the fan base. It, It was a. What am I trying to say? You play one show where there's like 100 people and you play one show where there's like 15 people. Right. You know what I yeah. mean? And so, those 15 had never heard of you, but they wanted to go check out two American bands that were playing. So like the example that comes to mind is Rome. Rome was one where it was like just kind of a bar crowd. Like right. I don't think they knew almost or cared that it was a Howling Giant slash Heavy Temple show. They, they were just, just heard like, rock metal. And, and bands from America, and they were there. So it was fun, but it was a very different reception than like playing, you know, Desert Fest Belgium, where it's like everybody was there for this kind of stuff, and a lot of them knew who we were, right? Or you know, so yeah, it was uh, it was interesting. Some shows felt like you're starting over, but then some to see people wearing our T-shirts and singing the words in Europe was like mind blowing. Yeah. So just keep building on it, I guess. We'll see where it goes. I mean, you're kind of using the same idea that you use in the U.S. too, where it's you're going back and you're going to build every single time you go to a different place, you go to a different city. And when you come back, it's just going to continue building more and more. And I do actually kind of find interesting the fact that you start out this run, especially for this album, by going over to Europe for it versus, you know, staying in the U.S. as many other bands would do. Because, well, of course, you know, when you want to have an album come out, you have something new come out, you want to get it to the most, you know, largest audience possible, which I think for you guys would definitely be the U.S. But going over to Europe and trying to attract as many fans you can as well. But now all of a sudden, you know, the album's ready to come out. You guys are back here. You're able to do whatever you need back here. But you have the European market already hit and you have it connected as well. And at the same time, you know, you were over there and you didn't have to deal with winter at all. Like there's a lot of possibilities, a lot of positivity that comes from that idea, given the time of year that you guys were able to go over there and do it. Yeah, I mean, we so we're going to go on tour here uh, starting on, was it the 3rd of November? Yeah, so probably right as the the podcast comes out. Not as long as what we just did. Not as long, but yeah, we're going to start, you know, showing the album around and, uh, taking all the new songs out live. Uh, it was really cool in Europe, though, too. We got some of the vinyl early, so we were able to sell it in, in advance of mm-hmm. the record. So people came out to those shows. So, um, yeah, we'll we'll hibernate in the winter as usual. But we'll and I to- should and I should say, I think it's worth mentioning that, like, yes, we have more history touring and playing live in the States, but we had the opportunity to play some pretty important festivals over there mm-hmm. and I think being able to play to a group of people who haven't seen us before, like a uniquely just like first impression um, kind of experience was, you know, super beneficial for this record. Yeah. So you could argue maybe it would be, you know, smarter to stay home where it's the safe bet. But 
I think that it was a really positive experience going over there. And I think it paid off. So, yeah, totally. You know. See, now that mindset makes it a little bit different because if people are just going over to Europe, especially if you're a, you know, main state, like main state in the U.S., this is where your fan base primarily is and you release something, you want to get in their hands. But with what you guys are able to do with Europe, it's not just going to shows, but it's being able to play the festivals over there and maximize out on that, maximize the amount of people that are able to come and see you guys perform and get to know who Howling Giant is because Think about it. You've gone to festivals before. I've gone to festivals before. And there's plenty of times where there are bands that I have never heard of. Or maybe there's just, I know, I've i heard the name, but I've never listened to them before. And there's someone I know that's there that's like, hey, come over to me with to this show. Come to me to this pit. Let's go have some fun. Heck, that's how I found out about the band Bloodywood. I had a friend that was like, let's go here. I'm like, okay, what is it? Indian metal. Okay, I'm sold. I got to see what this that's is. Sick. And I went from like, okay, now I'm into this band. Now I got to, I got I want to listen to more of them. I want to see what they else they got. And by you guys going over those festivals in Europe and maximizing on that, you had the chance to get in front of thousands of people. Now, not just, you know, a hundred here, a hundred here, maybe a bar crowd here, but no, thousands of people that are not only there just to be a part of the festival, but they're there because they want to listen to music. They want to see good music. They want to be in that experience. So everyone is already open to it and they're open to something new. That's where you guys perfectly come in with this and you have new music to show them as well. And if they haven't even, if they weren't able to pick up on, you know, copy the vinyl early, heck, by the time the album comes out, they're still, you're still in their brains. You're still in their heads. They're still just following you. They see something new comes out. They're going to want to go and listen to the whole entire thing right then and there. I hope so, man. Yeah, totally. And that's, but also just another more points for Europe. The, The festival season there is much stronger than in the U.S. Like there are way more festivals happening mm-hmm. um, all over. And that was kind of the whole reason we booked the tour is because we got on a few festivals and then had to, you know, just fill out spots in between. And and uh, I mean, there are really cool rock and metal festivals in the States, but they're way more spaced out and whatnot. So it was really worth it to get in front of those fest crowds, because like you were saying, you can just you, you get in front of way more people. And also like. We have a good fan base in Europe, I think, uh, already, but it's purely built on just the music they've heard from the records. Right. For mm-hmm. for an audience of people who are supportive of us who haven't seen the live show, I feel like our live show is very different than what we sound like on the records right. in some ways. I think it's important to see and feel the energy of the live show aspect. So I think it was cool to give some affirmation to the fans that already exist to say like, man, we're dope. We can do it live. You know, we're ready to go. But also for people who maybe have heard the name, but haven't checked it out to say like, you know, we're here and we're trying to throw down as hard as we can. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's cool, man. And being able to hit on a idea like that just really stands out in terms of any other fan too, because I've had those bands too, where I've gone and like, again, not knowing who they were. And the first I get to see them is live. And it's like, you know, that's a kind of a, you know, positive negative because if you sound fantastic you're playing really well live that day there's just this energy and this aura that just comes over people and they get so heavily connected with it but at the same time say there's something that goes wrong not on your doing but say just you know something sound doesn't sound right a speaker blows um someone accidentally has a water bottle on top of a speaker and it falls off and it pours on like a laptop that's set on the side that's running the light show and everything and everything gets messed up there then it's there's just a different kind of idea that happens but being able to go out there, show the fans that have loved you for so much. It's like, yeah, we can do this live. Now you're seeing it. And so many new fans able to feed off the energy of the old fans in the crowd and off of you guys. That just puts more and more power behind what you guys are doing and more and more connectivity for those fans. So 
clearly you guys made the right move going over to Europe and hitting all those different festivals and hitting all those different shows as well. I mean, I haven't been over to Europe for the festival season yet, and I really, really want to see how insane it is, where it's like every weekend for like three months straight, there's a festival in a different country going on, and it's always an insane lineup that you don't want to miss. Right. Yeah. I mean, like, uh, we really want to go, like, Hellfest is constantly changing, and those lineups are always crazy. You can you can see pretty much anything in rock or metal, any genre or subgenre you can catch there. So that's like, and that one's massive. Like th- that's way bigger than, than a lot of some of the other ones, but like, yeah, just really cool stuff. So out of all the festivals you played in Europe this year, what was the one that just stands out the most to you specifically? I feel like for, for me, it was probably desert fest Belgium and partially because it was the last show that we played over there. Right. So it felt like, okay, we did our job. This is like the end, you know, exclamation point to the tour. And the fact that it was a good turnout and, you know, I feel like we played super tight and I feel like we connected with that audience in a way that was really awesome. Yeah. You know, I, I think all the festivals were really sick, though. That was just probably the one for me that stood out. Yeah, I agree. I mean, Desert Fest Belgium was my favorite as well. But um, like, keep it low. What was it? Keep it low in, in Munich. In Munich, man. Yeah. That was awesome. That too. was a really good show. That really was just cool a room. cool layout. Like mm-hmm. the 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 what would you call that? The compound you yeah, were on? Yeah, it was like this, <clears throat> the stages were all, you had to go through this maze and there was like a lot of like there was growth. A, like they almost had like a, there were a ton of plants. So right. it felt like you were walking through like a maze of like, I don't want to say a jungle, but it's like you're a walking through and it's like, yeah, I was uh, frequently lost, but then you'd eventually <laughs> find the room where a band is just like shredding. Yeah. Or, you know. And also the stages and the crew there was, they were amazing. Like, all the stages sound really nice. The hospitality in Europe for a band is like next level, man. Yeah. You know, they, you could get used to it. You show up and there's like a nice, like catered spread for you. For sure. They're super kind. The sound was great. Every sound person we worked with was like top notch. Yeah. You know, it was good. Everyone in the U.S. take note. This is what you have to do in order to make sure that you're building the best possible festival that you can. Get the best people, make sure that everyone's on on point with everything. At the same time, treat them with respect so that they're treating everybody else with respect as well. And you get something like this where now when people are coming to the U.S., they want them to expect the exact same thing and get used to that same sort of mentality. But kind of thinking about what you're talking about, you know, you're walking through a maze. It's like kind of thinking about walking through a hedge maze. Hedge maze. Kind of thinking about, you know, as we're shooting this close to Halloween, it's like, Thinking about walking through like the big hedge mage and the shiny and every time you get to the end of something there's a big giant room there and there's just some band absolutely shredding you might not know exactly who they are but heck that's one hell of an experience you're never gonna forget right yeah cool man maybe we got to start something like that in the u.s but we got to find a big enough space and a big enough hedge mage to do it and not do sure there's really gonna be a spot but unfortunately i don't have the money to make it myself <laughs> yeah there's gotta be some like right. epic cornfield in the midwest somewhere <laughs> All right, that's it. We're going to Iowa. We're going to Nebraska. We're just going to buy a cornfield. We're going to make a big, giant corn maze. And at every single end of the corn maze, there's going to be a stage and there's going to be something going absolutely ape crazy. And the way you get around is by going through the maze and getting to this destination. I feel like uh, any sort of fire marshal would not like the idea of a maze to get to or away from anywhere. But, you know, you can cut through the maze. You just just pick a direction and run. You're fine. You know. 
Yeah, as long as the corn doesn't start a blaze, then that's the only chance we'd have a problem. So maybe pyro mm-hmm. wouldn't be the best idea out there. So I don't think I could invite Parkway Drive and have their full pyro set go on. That just probably yeah. wouldn't work out the best. I'll tell you what, we'll we'll keep workshopping this yeah. idea. We'll figure out the right answer. All the elements are there, you know. Fireproof corn. That's what we got to figure out. How do we engineer fireproof corn? Yeah, dude. I don't know how we're gonna we're working do. on it now on our end. That's right. You know. <laughs> Just got to, yeah, we're going to go to the lab. We're going to, you know, get some friends on it. We're going to figure it out. And I mean, we may end up burning a lot of corn on accident, but hey, if we burn a lot of corn, you're going to have a lot of popcorn around there. So can you really be too mad? <laughs> We've got our best people on it right now. Seabass, our bass player, he's working. So we got him. He, you guys just got him locked in the basement right now working on this. You just like quick yeah, Nintendo message, start working on it. Anyway, we keep him away because we keep him hard at work at all times. He's working on corn technology as yeah. we speak. See, now that could be either corn technology of trying to figure out how to make the corn as flame retardant as possible, or working on corn technology to see if the corn can start going. It's really just the mashup. It's really yeah. both. You yeah. know, the two are not mutually exclusive. Nope, but now we need to have corn headline that festival at su- one day. That's, I mean, yeah, it's no. it's kind of a given. Right. <laughs> it, it's got to happen. And now that you guys are back over here in the U.S., you guys are going on tour, you know, all, throughout November. What can we expect from you guys out on tour in November? Because the way you guys explained it during everything with Europe, like, I'm pretty much sold on wanting to go see you guys. And I want to get everyone else sold on it as well. So what can we expect from you guys on this upcoming run through the U.S. before the end of the year? We're starting to bring out a lot more of the new tracks from the record uh so that's always exciting to get some some new blood in the set there um this first one we're kind of squeezing through the south and a little bit of the midwest but i think in the spring we'll try to hit all the u.s markets that we're not hitting on this like two and a half week run uh just because we're trying to stay away from the north as it starts to turn to winter because we don't want to get the van stuck anywhere um but yeah a lot of new songs we're hitting some of our favorite spots, uh, like Wilmington, North Carolina. It's always amazing. Uh, Chicago, we have great shows there. Um, so we're just kind of playing the hits, playing the new tracks, and uh, and going to some of our regular haunts for right mm-hmm. now. Hey, you should come. Where are you? Uh, where are you located, Kevin? I'm located in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. So right when you said Chicago, I'm like, oh, there we go. That's the have one. You, have you? Have well, you ever been to, to... X-ray Arcade? Uh, have you ever been? Yeah, so we played X-Ray Arcade. We, we also are. played yeah. uh, the Cactus. Was it the Cactus, Cactus Club? Club? You ever been yep. there? I have. I've been to X-Ray a couple of times. I have not been to the Cactus Club yet. The Cactus Club was sick, man. It was yeah. a small room. I feel like we do really well in those smaller size rooms because, like, there's definitely a focus on connecting with the audience in our live shows. You know, like if you're in the front row, we're gonna like actually look at you. You know. We're not just going to like space out above the top. So I don't know. We we bring a lot of energy to the live show and it is really loud. There's not a lot of like extra frills on it, though. Right. Like, we don't have a backdrop. We we're don't. Not, we're not playing to tracks. We don't, don't have extra. So everything flexes live, you know, so you're going to get a little something different every night. Basically, we're just going to ask the venue for outlets to plug our amps in <laughs> and we're going to hope that the monitors work. And yeah. then that's how we do the show. Yeah. No, no, uh, no slight to bands that use a lot of tracks. I think those are cool, but the production really is just what we do with our guitars and amps. Yeah. And I think that's really cool and something you're like not seeing as much anymore. 
it feels kind of retro in a way, you right. know? Yeah. Um, and that, that goes into the recording process as well, because when we are writing and recording an album, we're always thinking about, okay, how do we play this live? But I would argue that the record brings a lot more arrangement to the table. Like the record is a different experience than the live show. Yeah. And both are really sick. But to go back to one of the things we were excited about playing in Europe, I think we were able to bring an experience that they didn't have on the record. Yeah. And it's one that is equally as powerful, if not, in my opinion, sometimes more powerful. Right. To see a three piece, just let it rip with like nothing to hide behind. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, you should definitely come. You should see what it's about, man. See, see, whenever that happens, I'm like, I want to see if a band can pitch to me because, of course, I'm always going to be like, yeah, I got to go and see this no matter what. I always love supporting every band I can have on the podcast. I want to see you guys do well. I want to be at least at one show so I can experience this. And a couple of things. I, I do understand the kind of the idea of like, OK, if you're going to use a lot of tracks, it's if you use a lot of tracks, do it so that it amplifies the live show to make it the best possible for the fans. But if you're not using them and you're going to make it as raw as possible, if that's going to be the best way that you can use your show to create it, the best experience for the fans, absolutely go for it, because that's how you create that. And, connection. And, I'm, and I'm back and forth on the side of that fence, because I think that there are ways to use tracks that can really amplify a live show. That is really cool. Mm -hmm. Right. I do think a lot of people use it as a crutch and I think that it can act as a safety net. So when I see a band that does not have any of that, like no click track, no extra production that isn't being produced by you in that moment, you know, it's, it's a little more dangerous to be a band without the luxury of tracks and clicks. And because of that, I, I think it's like just better, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the argument right now you, you you get an article of like some band who relies heavily on tracks and someone loses a laptop they don't have a backup and then you got all the 50 year old dudes in the comments <laughs> well, section dude. complaining about it but at, you know at the same time there's like really amazing shows with all of that but then you could go see iron maiden and they're just up there just shredding as yeah. it is you know well i remember i think i watched an interview of like I think it was a Misha Mansoor interview talking about a periphery tour that they were on with Dream Theater mm -hmm. and their tracks rig like went down, like their computer just like fucked up or melted or something. Yeah. I don't remember what happened, but they had so many issues where I think Misha was talking about how John Petrucci came up to them and was just like, hey, you got to get your shit together. <laughs> and I'm trying to imagine what that would feel like yeah. to have. Papa John Petrucci, come on up to you. He's be like, out there lifting weights. Just together. Like... I'd be like, oh, I would feel devastated to hear that. So the dangers of relying on a tracks rig, you know, that computer could go down and can you still be a band that can put can on Can you still show? play that show? Yeah, exactly. It's just like, I think that's, that, that is the way. Here's something that, that was interesting. Both. That band Polyphia, who I think is sick, by the way, um, they did a show where their tracks or their click went down in their drummer's ear. Right. And I think the drummer's tech had to come up and like mm -hmm. tap his leg to the tempo. <laughs> mm -hmm. And they still did the show. And right. I'm like, man, that's that's sick. the that's the way to adapt. Because it was like, a okay, creative shred. It was yeah. a mm -hmm. creative solution to a problem that you would only have if you're a band that relies on a click. So in one sense, I'm like, oh, well, you know, that's what might happen. But they figured it out. So props to them for that, like yeah, still that's the putting thing. on the show. Some other bands probably would have just thrown up their hands and gone like, well, we can't play today. You're mm -hmm. sorry. You know, so the fact that they went through is like, that's sick. It's cool.
Yeah, I saw, uh, I think it was recently, Hollywood Undead had that issue too where their drummer's click track went out and he's like trying to get it fixed, but they're right about to start a new song. So it's like, well, what the hell is he going to do? And he just went for it, just hoping that it would work. And when the click finally came in like a minute later, he realized he was like one beat off. So he's like, okay, I got to quickly catch up. But the fact of the matter is like everything was so bad, man. But like everything you're playing, if you're off by like a beat when it's just an unwavering click and the rest of the members are hearing it. I guess really it's like you need to be able to hear your band and yeah. follow mm-hmm. them, you know? Yeah, but it's it's I understand where you guys are coming from too, where it's if you have that, if you have the track, if you have the click, it can amplify the show to make it better. But there's also downfalls to that where now if it goes down, what are you gonna do to be able to fix that? If it goes down completely, if your laptop fries, then you're kind of screwed. But on the flip mm-hmm. side, if you're gonna go no tracks, just straight up raw, just like you know, go completely shred. Yeah, you're able to go and you don't have those problems, but there's other things that might arise too where it's without that track, maybe there's something you can't do with the show unless you had something like that. So there's always different trade-offs that happen. There there. are different trade-offs. The one thing that is just true though is if you're a band that is not playing to a click, you have to kind of just be a better band or at least be really good at listening to each other. Like there is a different demand, I think from a musicianship standpoint Mm -hmm. and it is scarier because of that you know you you have to really be someone who's practicing with your band a lot um but there's the convenience of like we've had friends that are in different cities in a prog band yeah and and the ability to just fly in the day before hit a rehearsal and play they're ready to go it's like that's also the ability to program like a light show potentially right. to your Ableton tracks. You're it's like, amplifying the show. That's yeah. something we won't be able to do. So I know I'm throwing shade a little mm-hmm. bit at people who rely on tracks, but we do recognize that you can definitely amplify the level of production that you can get. hundred you know? percent. Um, yeah. yeah. But now to give a little bit more credit to what you guys are doing by not using any of that, it's, if you guys are all on the same page, you don't have to rely on certain pieces. You don't have to rely on certain timings when it comes to those tracks. So you guys can just at certain times, just go ad lib, just riff, get creative with something and work with something on the fly to create that own production yourself so that the people that are in that room at that moment, because those people right there, they're the people that matter the most for your music. They're the ones that are listening to it. They're the ones that engage with it. The people that are on Twitter, who cares about them? They're not at that show. People that said they were going to come to the show, but didn't come. They're not at that show. So if you can do something where it's like, hey, we're going to try this right now with this song. We're going to switch this up here. We're going to have some fun with this. Maybe add this little bit to it and see what happens. It might be the best part of the whole entire show. And that's what gets you fans. It gives you the ability to kind of ad lib and just go with the flow and just see what the heck happens. You have the ability to create a moment and not have to worry about, is this going to fit in with whatever track we have running in the back? Well, and I think it's important to treat your audience as like a living thing where like there are times when an audience might be really digging your like faster material. And so being able to like focus on those. And I mean, there's a give and take with how we perform things. Sure. There might be a night where we're playing a song a little bit faster than we usually do. And it's because like a crowd is like into that frenetic energy. But then you might play a show where it's like this is a doomy audience that wants us to like sit back. And having the freedom to flex in response to the reaction that a crowd is having is like, it's just a little less robotic. 
Yeah. And the ability to just pull a song out out of nowhere. Just like, you know, somebody does shout something out. It's like, well, we only have the show programmed for these specific songs for this amount of time. We can just be like, no, we're going to play this one tonight. You know? I like the idea of finding more like analog solutions to right. uh, some of these cool things that like uh, a track show can do. For example, we were talking about the light show, being able to trigger a light show to Ableton if you're playing to a quick. I think that's so rad if you can pull it off. But I love the idea that we had talked about in the past where we were like, what if we built two like light towers and just wired them to just like a foot switch? Just a MIDI foot controller. That we could have yeah. like Seabass, our bass player, just control to be like, hey, if you're feeling it, like just step on the strobe light. And then the other switch could like step on the blue light, step on the red, like do the real time you're controlling it. Just it's it would be less. In intense or less complicated than maybe a programmed light show but it would be a really cool kind of like analog solution to that yeah it would I be a cool it would be a cool solution to it and at the same time too again like we were talking about it gives you the freedom to adapt on the fly if you guys if you guys have a show where everyone is digging the fast stuff and you guys are able to play along with that now you have control of your light show on an analog side you're able to do whatever you want with it and you're able to just transform it in that moment or if it's more people are digging deep and they want you guys to sit back and just really enjoy the ride, just really get into it in that kind of capacity. Yeah, now you can go and change your light show up literally on the fly to fix just that and yeah, amplify man. it everywhere. I love the idea of being able to tell the venue too, be like, hey man, just like hit the lights. Just like, I want to just black out in here and we're going to handle the light show from here. Yeah, I exactly. think that's just rad. Being able to just like have control over that completely would be so sick. Yeah. I have too many pedals I use as the guitarist where I probably won't control the light show. But yeah. Seabass. Seabass has a tuner and, and what? Distortion. He so. didn't even bring a tuner on the last that, Yeah. He, he brought a quarter inch cable. That's right. He brought no pedals. He just went yeah. straight into the front. He'll probably have a tuner on the U.S. tour, though. I would urge him to bring one, but... <laughs> But hey, you never know what Seabass might do. I mean, right now he's in the base and working on as much corn technology as possible. He is, he is literally just paving the way for corn technology, <laughs> corn-based tuning technology. That's right. How are you going to tune in? Um, we're going to go one turn to the ear this way, and then we're going to yes, have a fantastic time on that. Right now, people talk about the strobe tuners being top of the game. They just haven't discovered the corn tuner tech that Seabass is working on right now. This is cutting edge stuff, guys. You don't want to miss out on it. It's yeah. it's tasty good stuff. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> that is absolutely right. And now, I mean, when it comes to trying to see you guys play live, it's just thinking about this, thinking about the ideas that you guys have and how you do the live shows just from that conversation, just from that piece of it. Man, you guys got me sold on it already. I'm surprised that, you know, if anyone else is listening is not sold on it. I'd be shocked at that point. It's something where you never know what you're going to get when you see you guys play live. Of course, the first two songs might be what you expect, but when it comes to the rest of the show, you don't know how it's going to turn out. It's all going to depend upon what the crowd is doing and how you guys are going to manage the reaction of that crowd to amplify it the best way so that when they leave the show, they're thinking that they had the absolute best time as the show went on and you create that sense of community when you're vibing with the rest of the audience, when you're creating that, because if you have a show that you're going to be our debts on this, we're going to go high, high energy, fast pace. That's it. And the crowd is more of that dig in type crowd. Now there's going to be that rift between there, but if you guys are able to work with that crowd, now everyone's experience is elevated. And that's something that stands out to so many people when they go and see bands live, especially if it's for the first time. 
Yeah. So I'm hundred percent. I agree. <laughs> I agree. Oh yeah. So yeah, now I'm sold. So I got to find, I got to figure out what day that Chicago date is so I can write it down, make sure I find my way down there. Chicago is usually a good one too, man. Chicago seems to show up every time we come through. I got, well, we're playing X-Ray on November 10th and uh, Reggie's in Chicago, November 11th. Oh shoot. You're playing X-Ray up here in Milwaukee. Yeah, yeah dude. Oh, that's going to be even easier because instead of driving an hour and a half down to Reggie's, I can just stay here and drive 15 minutes and get to X-Ray. Dude, they got some sweet games, too. What games do they have? I'm trying to remember what we were playing last time. Well, they had one of the ones, one of the cabinets in the green room with, like, all the old games in there. Like, it was a multi. Yeah, I was throwing down on the Miss Pac-Man pretty hard. For sure, yeah. I think I impressed the Ruby the Hatchet folks. Yeah. (laughs) They were playing Miss Pac-Man. I was like, guys. Let me show you how it's done. <laughs> Why don't you just hand me those those sticks, you know? Yeah, I know they got, they just recently like renovated the whole entire bar area. I think they got a bunch of new games in there too. Cause I was there last, I think in July. So like everything was all fully renovated. Everything was all done. And I mean, it's the place still looks dang good now. And they deleted the whole patio and everything outside. So probably compared when you were there last to, to now, it's definitely going to be, it's, it's still the same, but it's just, updated basically well we were just fresher. there like i think it was may yeah right it was they may. change it since may yeah they were i think they were fin- still finishing up some of the stuff especially in the patio side back in may oh, cool. were, yeah, yeah. We didn't go, i didn't go out to the patio yeah. did i i don't think we did. i don't know was, that was a five-week tour where so was the I? tour brain there is gone <laughs> where am i now yeah <laughs> Where am I? Where is this? How far along is the corn technology? There is many questions to be answered here, folks. Right. That's right. And with the new album again coming out on the 27th, which will be out by the time this episode releases, um, for all those people that have listened to the album, you know what to expect. But for everyone that has not listened to the album, what can we expect on this bad boy? Um, Man, I don't know. I love this record. I feel like this is a really tight, really good flow from start to finish um our song songwriting compared to like space between worlds the record from 2019 i feels uh, i think it's just it's more concise it felt more cohesive of a record from start to finish yeah we also overwrote for this one yeah we uh we've talked about this before but we in the past we just wrote enough songs for the record like space between worlds Everything we wrote just made it on the record. Mm-hmm. This one, I think we wrote 18 songs and we're like, let's pick like the nine songs that are the best or that feel most like the best flow, the most cohesive for you. Yeah. So I don't know. We, we took a lot of time and put a lot of care into this one. And I think the end result is very polished and I'm really proud of it. Yeah. We were also able to you know, if, if we weren't happy with the way something sounded, we went back and retracted it, you know, where before I feel like sometimes you get a little rushed with labels and stuff and deadlines. And this one, we kind of put our foot down a little bit more and we were like, nope, not ready yet. We're going to do it. You know, that can work against you if you keep delaying. Man. So it's finding that fine line. That's the balance between wanting to make the perfect record, but also meeting the deadline. So, but the record represents like everything that we do very well. There are fast songs and there are like slow kind of psychedelic songs, you know? There's a lot of prog element in it, but there's also a lot of just kind of traditional riffy, pentatonic, stoner riff, classic stuff, you know? And I mean, we we kind of, 
up the arrangement on the vocal harmony front as well, uh, which was really fundamental. We we, yeah. we just threw everything we had at this one. Yeah. And the artwork is dope. Yeah. So it's a good record and you should buy it. <laughs> yeah. See, I mean, if that's the best way to put it, the artwork is dope. There's so much on this record and you guys were able to put so much into it and really encapsulate everything the Howling Giant is. So yeah, go and buy it. Go and stream it. Go and get that vinyl copy of it. Go and see them play live. And if you take a look, for me personally, because I was really getting into the uh, titular single, of course, Glass Future, and it kind of showed both of those styles as well, because like the first half of the song, you do pick up a lot of the pace on there. It's consistently moving. And for someone like myself who loves energy in that in music and really loves to drive forward, this really hit for me. And then you get to the second half and it's like, okay, now we're starting to slow this bad boy down a little bit. So now we're getting this different idea, this different mindset behind it. And usually when that happens, I'm like, oh, here comes the uh, here comes the slow part. I want the fast part again. Mm -hmm, but then the yeah. way the outro hits, it's like, okay, now with the way you guys slowed it down and really led into it, this all makes sense. And it really shows this absolute hit and has a little more of a downtrodden feel to it. But it matches so well with what we went through in the beginning of the song and the first half that we kind of get that amplified feel. And then it's like, now we mellow out a little bit. Now we kind of get this little downtrodden feel. But at the same time, it all flows together. It makes sense. So when it comes to a song, kind of, okay, we have some fast stuff. We have some more psychedelic stuff, some more prog elements in there. It seems like the titular single for this for this album really encapsulates a lot of that in its own capacity to really give the listener an idea of what to expect on both ends of the spectrum. Yeah, totally, man. I think that was a, a very conscious effort. Glass Future really did that also i think that's kind of one of the reasons why we ended up because the song came before you know naming the record there that's one of the reasons why we went towards naming the record glass future kind of it was a good song. reflection yeah. of that of the whole work mm -hmm. also the opening track um well not the opening track i guess the first like real song which is siren song yeah that one also i think kind of offers a little bit of everything we do. It starts out high paced and develops into kind of a... Just a heady groove. Just a heady groove. Mm -hmm. Yeah, man. And then it gets into a big riff at the end and then ends with the same frantic kind of out that it started with. Yeah. So those felt like important pieces to include on the A side, you know. And then really get frantic with it, really get enjoyable with it, really just let the energy flow through it and just kind of, again, take the listener on that dip and then bring them back up at the end to just create this whole entire experience for them when they're listening to it. And the even cooler thing is, is what's going to happen when they hear the stuff played live? What's that experience going to be like? Because that's, again, what we were just talking about. Now I'm thinking about this, the different kind of ways that you go about it, especially on the titular single, but also with now the other songs that you have. What side of the spectrum are we going on? Is it more fast-paced, more psychedelic? Is it more proggy? Is it going to bring us, have a little more of a slower feel to it? How is this all going to play in and really connect with us in a live show, especially if you're going through all these different elements? Yeah, you can take us on that emotional journey. You can take us on that absolute feel as of like, I'm feeling, what is this madness? And just enjoy the rest of the show. And by the end of it, we're just like, damn, that was some good shit. Oh, look, the merch table has vinyl albums there. Well, hot damn, I got to go get me one. I got to feed the beast. I got to go feed this thing. Feed me more. Man, it's just broken a piece off <laughs> well, of that, but you whatever. Can feed yourself at our merch table, too, because we have our own coffee and hot sauce. Like, we've got mm. the whole general store going. I'm really there. excited to sell the records. We got great t-shirts, but let's be honest, it's that hot sauce. The hot sauce is, is the key, yeah. We got two flavors, man. 
Yeah. Well, they're similar. The second one is a riff on the first one. Right. It's the black garlic habanero, which is called the bunker sauce. And then the pioneer pineapple, which is the pineapple variant. Right. So black the pineapple habanero added to it. With yeah. a pineapple twist. Okay, that brings up a new question. Where'd you get the idea to create your own hot sauce and sell it at these shows? We have a buddy in Pittsburgh uh, who puts shows together and, uh, well, does all sorts of stuff. He's streaming on Twitch, has a podcast, um, and he was just, he got super into making hot sauce. And uh, so he started experimenting for us. And his yeah. name is Chad. He's His company is Riff Zealot. Um is that the name of his hot sauce company? Or is that just yeah, like he, his I brand? Yeah, I mean, he goes through Riff Salad. Yeah, Riff everything Zellet. is Riff Salad. Hot sauce shows. But he know. started making hot sauce just kind of like for fun for other bands. And we tasted it and we were like, this is bitching. You got to make <laughs> us that. So I think the difference was he would make friends bands of his like 10 or 20 bottles. And then we showed up and we're like, make us 450 bottles now. <laughs> And uh, he can't, he ended up coming down here. He was like, that's too many, but I can fly down and hang out with you guys and we'll make it together for a week. Yeah, for so we like, a yeah, hot cool. sauce weekend. We had to make sure that my wife was not around because the fumes in here were insane. Your house reeked of hot sauce. It just couldn't go away for about a week. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, from your guys' perspective, it's like, damn, I'm just hungry. I want to get some hot sauce. Every time you walk in the house, like, oh, I smell it again. All right, give me some. We gotta get some wings. We gotta get something here. We gotta roll with. Gotta this. Get some taco bell. I don't know yeah. if that was the response for you. I was able to leave your house, <laughs> and so then I wanted the hot sauce. I feel like you didn't really want the hot sauce at a certain point. Yeah, my dog certainly wasn't happy. I just tried to keep oh. him on the other end of the house. Poor buddy. Yeah. <laughs> uh poor guy. Well, if you guys really wanted to, you guys could. If you guys get eight more hot sauces to be made, if you guys figure out eight different recipes, you can do your own version of hot ones and just have a blast with it and try and get people to do it like at the merch table. Like, all right, we're doing hot ones, but with our own fans. You only got yeah. five minutes. You got to go through each wing. You got each. You got a question before you get to each wing. Let's go. Let's roll with it. We're we're two we're two sauces down, and I feel like he was working on a third one because we yeah. tried a prototype. He was working on yeah. And well, he was working on one too, where he did like he was like, I want to make a fall sauce. So he's doing the cranberry additive, which was really cool. Uh, you know, I don't know if that'll end up hitting the, the shelves or not, but that was that was really nice. Now you got me intrigued. Cranberry hot sauce additive. Right. <laughs> yeah. The tartness kind of brought out some of that heat and accentuated some of the acidity in a really nice way. So pretty cool. I'm I'm kind of into that. Now I know exactly what I'm going to do on that day when you guys played X-Ray Arcade. I'm coming to the merch table. I got to get me some hot sauce. I, I yeah. Can I handle hot sauce? Certain hot sauces, yes. But yours, we'll see what happens because... Yeah. It's not... It's not... It is hot, I will say. It, it's not not hot. But right. it's not going to punish you. It's yeah. a really tasty, really good sauce. We we wanted to try to make something that... what like. There are some bands that are like, I want a hot sauce that's going to kill everybody. And we like, didn't do that. We did not do that. We <laughs> took a very practical approach right. in that when we're on tour, we eat a lot of Taco Bell. I would say that's like. It's the staple. It's the diet. We're yeah. going to eat Taco Bell. So we went to our homie and we were like, hey, dude, we need some hot <laughs> sauce specifically for Taco Bell. And we talked about flavor profiles. And that was the final test was be like, does it taste good on T-Bell? Yeah. And it did. So, so you know, here we are. So here we are. So here we are. And now I'm going to go get me some of that hot sauce when you guys come and play live. One more question before I wrap this up. It's a question I like to ask everybody. And it gives me and gives the listeners as well a chance to check out even more great music 
that you guys are aware of too. So if you guys can give me three bands, either your size, bigger or smaller, whatever you guys want to go with, that you would recommend that we check out, that we get a listen to, who would that be? I always ask for three, so I'm looking for three. Yeah. Can I start one here? Yeah. Uh, we were on tour with a band called Elder in May, and they actually just announced a tour and they're opening for Tool all of January and February. Um, they've been kind of road dogs in this kind of stoner psychedelic scene for a very long time. Tom and I saw them in like 2010, 2011 with eight other people in Boston, Massachusetts. And now they're about to play Madison Square Garden two nights Whoa. in a row opening for Tool. Uh, an amazing band. We had a great time on the road with them and really, really cool music. So yeah, Elder for sure. They do a great job of that psyche stuff, but they do, they have a lot of great prog element and mm -hmm. they do really creative, like high level shit. Man. They're and they awful. got some slapping riffs, they you do. know, they do it all. Um, yeah. Elder was a good one. Um, I guess I feel like I should say torch is just always a go-to for me. Um, yeah. Harmonic craft is like, I feel like that's a perfect record, but Beanderthal is also amazing. Restart is great. They're one of those bands where I like, I don't think they have a dud in their whole catalog. Right. Like Harmonicraft is my favorite maybe, but I would listen to like every record they have and just, it's amazing. They're very heavy. They have these sludgy elements, but it's very like melodic still. So they do a great job. I would say that's a big inspiration point for us. Yeah. Well then probably another inspiration point to wrap it would be ASG. Yeah. Totally. Uh, one of the reasons we kind of got into this style uh, is because like, you know, you get, you have a lot of these stoner doom bands and it's super heavy and we're screaming all the time and we love that. <laughs> but when somebody stands out melodically is when it's super cool. And ASG is one of the bands to kind of do that. They were signed to Volcom records like way back in the yeah. day. So they kind of got in on this skater punk scene. They, yeah. It's weird, man. Yeah. They're able to touch on so many different genres that are so cool. Like the skater punk definitely exists. Right. But they're like also very, you know, like thin Lizzie at moment with yeah. like these harmonized sweet guitar lines, everything super riffy and like, southern rock and the vocals are just really melodic and he can just turn on this like fry scream yeah that's just demonic yeah. like on a dime it's, yeah i don't know they're He'll the whole just ramp it they're like, the whole thing man yeah. asg yeah from wilmington which i'm excited to play in wilmington yeah maybe we'll see if they want to come out and hang yeah <laughs> hope you guys get to go and hang with them but yep that we got three three really good ones so of course everyone go and check them out because well the guys in Howling Giant said so, and I'm telling you to do the same thing too, so yeah. And now, as we bring this podcast to the conclusion, one thing I'd like to do is give my guests, which Zach, Tom, it's both of you in this instance, a chance to say whatever you want to say, plug everyone a plug, promote everyone promote the end of the podcast. So guys, the floor is yours. All right, well, we uh, record comes out Friday the 27th, so already out by the time this comes out. Uh, hope you check it out. It's on all the streaming services. We've got vinyl cds all that good stuff on our Bandcamp and the magnetic eye records store we're hitting the road from november 3rd until the 19th um, all those dates are on all of our social media uh instagram at howling giant if you look up just google howling giant will show up um and we got a lot more dates coming down the pipe here in the spring uh just kind of getting all that scheduled right now so if you follow any of the social media we will update you 
Sounds yeah. good. I think that's the stuff. <laughs> the only other thing I would mention is that we do dabble in Twitch streaming. Sure. So if you don't get a chance to see us live, we have been playing uh, on the internet. So right. yeah. follow the Instagram or Facebook or whatever, and you can keep up with us there. Yeah, the channel is twitch.tv slash official, and we do all sorts of stuff. Tom and I did some cooking streams back in the day. We streamed our Dungeons & Dragons campaign. We just get in the practice room and jam and do all sorts of stuff. So it's a good time. Sounds like a good time. And now it's time for me to this podcast with three very specific things. First things first. When it comes to finding Holly Giant Online, when it comes to Glass Future coming out, of course, on the 27th, but it'll be already out by the time this episode releases, I'm going to be your personal Google on this. Go to the description of the podcast where it says find Howling Giant online. Links and labels for everything where you can find them on social media, where you can enjoy their music, where you can buy some of their merch, you can get some of their, you know, some of that hot sauce. Ooh, yeah. Where you can go find them on Twitch. Support them in any way. Description of the podcast, find Howling Giant, links and labels, everything. Now it's time for number two. Gentlemen, when I have guests on the podcast, I enjoy them the podcast. I tend to make a certain promise as a way to say thank you for taking the time being on the podcast. And I would like to continue to support the band in any way that I can. I usually start out these promises with when, and it's a when because it's a, I'm going to make this happen. It's just day and time to be determined, but this is different because I have a day and time. When you guys go play at X-Ray Arcade on November 10th, I, my promise to you is this, I'm going to go all Liam Neeson on your ass from Taken as I will look for you. I will pursue you. I will find you. I will say hi, get some hot sauce because that sounds like a good plan. And first round's on me. Oh, thank you. We're also going to shred some video games with you, I'm guessing, while we're there, you know? Sure. We'll do the first round first, though. Yeah. Then we'll see what video game. <laughs> That's is. right. Yeah. First oh, round's yeah. first, then whatever video game we want to pick up on, we'll just go nuts with it and have a blast. Sounds like a plan, guys. And that's like, what, two weeks away now from the recording of this? So, woohoo! I got to get my video game prowess up because uh, I haven't been playing a lot lately. I'm just going to bust out the old N64 and just try and get in the mood again. Just be like, all right, get the use of the actual joystick. Just one of them. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Perfect. And now it's time for number three. As we bring this to inclusion, guys, I cannot end this podcast by saying goodbye because this was a hell of a lot of fun. I would love to bring you back on in the future. And I made a promise to you. So from the recording of this, two and a half weeks later, I'm going to make good on it. And I can see you again then. So this can't be goodbye. Hell nah. Two final. This is, I'll see you later. See you later, dude. Well, folks, in the interview with Tom and Zach from the band Howling Giant. Now it's time for Kevin's final thought. And I think about the conversation, of course, that we had around the backing track thing. And I get both sides of it as well. I do think that bands that do use it and rely on it heavily, that they're doing it to, you know, do it for the best show they can put on, for the best performance for the fans. And that's perfect. And from the bands that aren't doing that or giving the most raw performance out there and doing everything without backing tracks or click tracks or anything, also, very happy with that as well, because then it gives more of that experience of authenticity and more of the experience of just anything can happen and you never know what you're going to get with that show. And that's what I want to talk about specifically with that final thought, because I've seen shows where I've gone in and seen the bands and I may have never seen them before. I may be seen them for the first time. I may never know this band. And I've had some incredible times too, because the show that was put on perfectly encapsulated what the crowd was there for perfectly captured the energy and brought it to such a high capacity that I want to go see them over and over and over and over again. Um, the first time I saw ice nine kills was that way seeing pale dusk open for Polaris on this, uh, us tour that Polaris did in October. 
that was one that stood out to me beyond belief. So that's the ones I'm thinking about. But when it comes to the raw side of things and not having those backing tracks, you're not relying on a certain set. You're not relying on something that is set up for a specific energy, for a specific flow of a show. So if the crowd wants more of the heavier stuff, more of the faster paced stuff, you're able to work on the fly and do that. If they want to slow things up and stick in and sit in and enjoy the show, you're able to do that as well. It allows you the chance to do whatever you want in terms of making that crowd connect with you in such a heavier capacity that I absolutely love they do it. And I cannot wait to see them on this run they're going through in November. If you're able to go to the show at X-Ray Arcade in Cudahy, or it's a small city, small town just outside of Milwaukee. On November 10th, go be there. I'll be there. Let's hang out. Let's have a blast. Also, when it comes to finding Howling Giant online, go to the the podcast below where it says find Howling Giant online. Links and labels for everything there for you to connect with them, find the music, get some merch, get the hot sauce, go see me at a live show. I'm your own personal Google. Just go down there for it. Also, make sure you follow along with us on the Core Progression Podcast. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you're not subscribed, hit the subscribe button on YouTube right down here. If you're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or iHeartRadio, or Amazon, hit that follow button. Also, hit the like button on this episode as well to help push in the algorithm, help get people to know more about Howling Giant and more about the podcast. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Zach. Yeah, that's not really robotic, but I'll see you guys on the November 10th. Let's have some fun. On that note, that's good for you guys. Thank you for watching listening to the Card Progression Podcast. My name is Kevin, and you guys know how I end every single one. I'm the big, healthy, and hearty. See y'all!